excited about the opportunities that it's going to set people up for. And so if you could sign up for that so that I can be well prepared for how many people we would love to have you there, you can sign up on the growth track table before you leave. Okay. So we're in this story, and uh, if you're not familiar with the story is, I'll give you a brief uh, just catch up on what the story is. The story is the Bible, okay? And, uh, and if you don't have a copy of the story and you want to get one before you leave, we have copies on the back table for you. Uh, we would love for you to pick that up. You can follow along with us. We're going to be in it for quite a while. It's the narrative of the Bible. It's the big picture narrative of the Bible in chronological order. So there are things in the Bible that are not in the story, but there's nothing added to the story that's not in the Bible. So it is the Bible. It just has the big picture narrative in, in its focus. And so we've been going from creation from the beginning of time, right? So when God created the heavens and the earth, we've been going from there all the way through last week. If you were here, you, you, kept, you caught Joseph's story. He was one of the first characters that we got introduced to in the Bible. And I won't spoil it for you, but Joseph's story is fantastic. And so if you want to catch up on that or any of the weeks that you've missed, we have it on our podcast. That's right. We're cool. We're hip. We have a podcast. And so I'd encourage you to check that out if you haven't already, but definitely catch up. This week, however, we are talking about Moses. And Moses, if you don't already know, Moses has a crazy story. So I want to just give you a quick background as to what Moses' life was like up until the point where we will start to dive in deeper to the content. So he was born a Hebrew under Egyptian oppression. So at this time, the Israelites are slaves to the Egyptians. They're working for him. It's not a good time to be an Israelite. Uh, if you remember back to Joseph's story, uh, he was actually in God's favor and in the Egyptians' favor. Uh, they found favor in Joseph, and so the Israelites were in favor. But since then, that king had died. A new king came to power. He was threatened by the Israelites, and so he just was like, we're going we're gonna to make life miserable for them. We're going to oppress them. So it's not a good time. So he was born, uh, basically, as, as at the time when Moses was born, uh, babies were supposed to be, boys were supposed to be killed right away. And so somehow God miraculously spared Moses. And how he did that was is, uh, he had uh, Moses' mother uh, put him in a basket and set him free in a river, right? Because that's the safe Right? I mean, that's how bad, right? Like, you should know. Like, that's how bad it was because that was the best option. Like, giving your child and just being like, okay, see you later. Like, down a river. That's how bad it was. And so it's not a good time to be a baby. So, of course, he gets set free. And he's actually found um, by a high-ranking woman, uh, the daughter of Pharaoh. And so actually brought into the palace, into favor, which is also crazy. So instead of being killed, he's actually in a place where he's as safe as he can be, essentially. And so he grows up with this favor. And, and one day he's out walking around and he understands that he's connected to the Israelites. And he sees an Egyptian man basically beating an Israelite, just mercilessly beating him as they would often do to the slaves. And he actually attacks and kills the Egyptian. So he has all of this time that he grows up in favor and in peace, and then all of a sudden it just, he snaps, makes a bad decision, and because of that, he has to flee. And so then he flees to this place called Midian, and it's a long ways away from where he was born. It's a long ways away from Egypt. <clears throat> and while he's there, he actually finds favor with a priest, and, and he basically becomes a part of their life 
Um, he lives there as a shepherd, essentially, until God calls him back to Egypt, and he does so through the interaction that we're going to look at today. Um, while he's tending flock, right, while he's out in the middle of nowhere, he sees a, he sees a flaming bush. He just sees a, a bush that's on fire, and he notices that it's not burning up. And so, like, right there, you're like, okay, Moses has already had a pretty crazy story, but it just, it's about to get more unlikely and crazy. And so that's where we're going to pick up the narrative today. And we're actually going to read quite a bit. And so I'm going to ask you guys to just kind of pay attention and listen. If you want to turn in your Bible, it's Exodus chapter 3 through the first part of chapter 4. If you want to follow along, it won't be directly out of the story, but it will be page uh, 45 through 47 in the story. But we're going to read a conversation that Moses has with God. And this conversation is very revealing about both Moses and God and their characters. Uh, And so that's why I want to take a few minutes to walk through this dialogue, because it's going to give you a really good idea about what God is going to do in Moses' life and how he's calling Moses to something that is uh, bigger than Moses and how he sustains Moses through that and how we might be able to look at it and see parallels in our lives to the unlikely things that I know God is calling us to accomplish. So I will warn you, it is a decent amount of reading, but follow along. I didn't even put it on the screen because I want you just to listen to what's happening. And I will stop periodically and break down what's happening so that you have an idea of the narrative. So we're going to go starting in verse 1 of chapter 3. The first few verses are basically God establishing his credibility with Moses in this conversation. So starting with verse 1 and 3, in chapter 3 of Exodus, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush is not burning up. When the Lord saw that that he had gone over to look, God called to him from the bush. He said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am God, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So what's happening here is when he references those names, he's establishing credibility with Moses because Moses, uh, you know, if, if you're just in the middle of nowhere and someone's playing a trick on you, right? You're like, you're, you're kind of like, okay, this is, this is a weird situation. I don't know what's happening here. And, and for God to know that Moses was of that lineage was pretty unlikely. In fact, it was almost impossible. So, so that's why he calls back to those people in Moses's history. He's saying, listen, I know who you are. I know where you've come from. Now get ready to listen to what I have to say, right? So then we continue in verse seven, and he essentially just lays out his plan, Moses. So this was his plan. He said, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. 
So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the, out of the land and into the land of the, of the good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. I mean, that is a mouthful. Um, so thanks for sticking with me on that one. He says, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So he establishes credibility with Moses, and then he lays out his plan. And his plan is to send Moses. All right, so his plan is to send Moses. Well, of course, as you can imagine, it's not just like, okay, let's go. You know, like I wish it was, but that's not how it is. So, so we continue on. Moses basically says, I don't know, God. I'm not really sure about this plan, but God still reassures him. So in verse 11, it says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who, who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And then they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. So his plan is to send Moses. Moses kind of like, I'm not sure about this, God. God says, it's okay. I will be with you. What a fantastic promise. Right? Like it's easy to just kind of gloss over that really quick, but he says, I will be with you. And then he says, say to them what I told you, because if they don't believe you, they will now when you say that I am the God of Isaac and Jacob, right? The God of your fathers. And so he's giving him all the reassurance he needs. However, still not convinced. Moses is still not convinced. So we continue on in 16. He says, go assemble the elders of Israel. And say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what you have done in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you out of your misery in Egypt into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders will go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand, I will, and I will strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go, and I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people." So that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and your daughters, and, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. So God gives Moses a promise. Not only does he reassure him and say, I'll be with you, but now he's saying, look what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to give you more than you need. I'm going to give you riches, clothing. I'm going to provide for you, right? 
And so I'm trying to put myself in Moses' situation here. I'm going, this sounds like a pretty good deal, right? Like, wouldn't you agree that this sounds like a good deal? But Moses still doubts. Like, he is like, I don't know, God. I'm not quite sure about what happens. So God says, okay, well, let, let me do even more for you. So, he's, so Moses answers. He says, what if they do not believe me and listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? First of all, if they say that, they're just idiots. Right? After everything that, you know what I mean? Like, if they say that, that's what I would have said if I was God. Clearly, I'm not. So, um, so, Mo, so God handles it much better. So then it says that the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he says, a staff. Now, this is my staff. Okay? Now, not quite staff-like. It's more of a walking stick provided by my mom. Thank you, mom, for this. But just imagine that this is a staff, right? So Moses is holding on to his staff. And God asks him, he says, what is that? And he says, it's a staff. And the Lord said, throw it on the ground. Now, I'm not going to throw it on the ground because I don't want to break this because it seems like it was expensive. Um, but just get, you know, boom, right? Like you get the imagery. He throws the staff on the ground. And then, it, so he throws it on the ground and then it becomes a snake, right? Just throws it on the ground and it becomes a snake. And Moses is like a terrified, so he runs and hides from it. So he, like, the, it goes on the ground, it becomes a snake, and he runs and hides from it. And then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So it says Moses reached out, took a hold of the snake, and turned it back into a staff in his hand. Throws it on the ground, becomes a snake, grabs it, it's right back to the same staff. Pretty unbelievable, right? He says, this, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, again, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside of your cloak. So essentially, he's wearing a coat. Put your hand in it, right? Brings the hand out. It's leprous. Like it's, it says it's white as snow. And, and Moses has got to be going, what in the world? Like, this is a terrible disease. And God says, put it back into your cloak. He does it, comes back out totally clean and healthy. So he has the snake and the hand that's been healed, right? And then said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to you to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe those two or listen to you, take some water from the Nile River and pour it on to dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. So he takes water out and turns it into blood, right? So, so just following the narrative of Moses' interaction with God, God not only gives him his plans, he gives him a promise, he gives him proof, in my opinion, that, that, this is, that he is who he says he is, he's going to do what he's going to do, but Moses does what? He still makes excuses. It says, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. Like now he's like, okay, like I'm going to be polite. Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. Right? So Moses' doubts, like he's like, oh, you know, okay, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure what I can say. I'm not really good with words. And God's like, I will make it happen. If I can turn your staff into a snake, I can, I can help you talk. Right? I gave you your mouth. And yet, Moses still doubts. Right? It says right here, it says, but Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, 
Please send someone else. Then the Lord, it says, this is, this is a great line. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. He finally had enough. He's like, okay, whatever, bro. Like he just like, it, it burns against Moses. And yet, this is what God does for Moses. He says, what about your brother, Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, which is also spectacular because God's plan, he's already working it out before Moses even realizes it. He's already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. So he's like, wait a second. Mo- Moses, the guy who's not supposed to be good with words, is actually going to coach his brother who's supposed to be because God said so, right? That's, that's simply the reason why it's going to happen. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and, is, and, and if you were God to him. But take this staff into your hands so that you can perform the signs with it. Okay, so that's where we're going to stop reading for today. I encourage you to read the rest of that chapter in the story because it's spectacular. But I want to talk about what happens and what we learn from that interaction. Um, you, you notice in the, in the interaction, the dialogue that Moses has, that Moses is pretty skeptical. He's a pretty skeptical person. Now, I, I, I would say this. I am all about being skeptical. I, I think it's actually important for people to be skeptical, but when it becomes unhealthy and turns into cynicism, when you become cynical, that's when things become unhealthy. Uh, being a skeptic is quite the good thing. In fact, I was telling Thea, my wife, this the other day, I said, uh, I think it's my duty to make my daughter skeptical of every boy she ever meets from now until forever until I say otherwise. <laughs> like, that's just my job. Like, that, make, be skeptical of every boy from now until the end of history unless I say differently, right? So be skeptical. I'm good with that. I'm good with people wondering, like Moses being like, I'm not sure how this is going to work out. That's fine. Early on, right? But it's when it continues after he has these signs and these wonders and these promises that it potentially becomes an unhealthy thing. I think one of the greatest barriers of our generation, one of the greatest things that's going to uh, erode our well-being is the cynicism that comes out of continuing to be skeptical beyond a reasonable amount. Especially as a Jesus follower, if you allow cynicism, now I'm not saying skepticism, it's okay to be skeptical, but when God promises you something and you're still like, nah, God, that's not good enough, it can start to turn into cynicism. And what cynicism does is it starts to erode at our soul, right? Have you ever been in a cynical period of your life? Have you ever just been like, I know that God says this is going to work out, I just don't believe it. I just don't believe it. How can he possibly do that? And then you just, and then he, he shows you like, okay, well, this is how it's going to work out. Here's my plan for you. Here's my promise to you. And you still are like, I don't know, God. And then it starts to just turn into this kind of like negative, that can't work. I'm not good enough. This is never going to work out. That's not a good place to be. That's not a healthy place to be. God gives Moses an insane amount of reassurance in that situation, and yet he continues to doubt. And as I was reading that situation, I thought to myself, I would like to say that I I would be better than Moses, 
but I don't know if I would be better than Moses because that situation is indeed pretty intimidating, right? Like he's supposed to go to the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. He's supposed to say, hey, let these people go who are your slaves and they're just supposed to let them go, right? But after you read the interaction all the way through and you see what God says to Moses and what he says um, that he will do and he shows him that he has the power to do these things, it starts to turn into more than skepticism. It starts to turn into cynicism. So let's, let's just have a little fun with like, the difference between skepticism and cynicism, okay, for a minute. I'm going to give you uh, two reactions to the same, in my mind, these are just from my brains, two reactions to the same situation, one skeptical, one cynical. All right, so here's the skeptic. It seems unlikely that my husband can handle getting the kids dressed and groomed for picture day at school, but let's see how it goes. That's a skeptic, right? I don't really believe that this is going to go well, but let's do it anyway. Cynic, oh yeah, right. My husband has no idea how to dress his kids, right? And he's never touched a brush in his life. I'd rather just let them get themselves ready, right? Like you hear the difference there? Like it's the same thing, but it's just different, right? It's like, ah, eh, maybe I'll give it a chance, but no way. Yeah, right. Okay, second situation. Do I have any guys in here that can relate to that, by the way? Can I get an amen? No, I'm just kidding. Don't say that. <laughs> guys, we're gonna get ourselves in trouble, you and me. Okay, skeptic, my wife has been really busy at work lately. It's unlikely that she'll be able to come home in time for us to have dinner as a family. Skeptical, eh, it's probably not gonna work out. Cynic, why would, I, why would I even make dinner? She doesn't even care about how hard I work. She's out there just taking her time getting home so she doesn't have to help around the house. I'm gonna quit trying, right? Same situation, but you hear the difference. You hear the, I'm not sure, versus this is worthless. This is hopeless, all right? Skeptic. New situation. I doubt my teacher will see eye to eye with me on this topic. It's probably going to take a ton of work to convince them that I know what I'm talking about, but I'll do my best, right? Skeptic. Cynic. My teacher hates me. They're always giving me grades worse than my peers because they don't believe what I believe. I'll just do the bare minimum to get by, right? Students, you see the difference there? Riley, see the difference there? All right, don't be a cynic. Finally, last situation. I doubt my friend considered how hard I worked to put this event together. They would never have canceled on me if they understood how it made me feel when they canceled. Cynic, my friend is so selfish. They never think about me when they make decisions. They're tired. No, I'm tired of them being total jerks. Right? You hear the difference? What happens is, is we creep into cynicism, the longer we live in our skepticism, the longer we live in that space of unhealthy. Skeptics and cynics start at the same place, but they lead us down very different paths. The thing that happens, the thing that changes for a cynic, the thing that you start to see happening in Moses' life um, before he eventually decides, I should probably do this, is that he just kind of loses faith in himself. He loses the hope that God is going to come through in the difficult situation, right? Like he sees God work the miracles and he just doesn't believe in himself. He thinks that his disqualifications are too big for God who just turned a staff into a snake, who turned water into blood, who made his hand turn leprous and again healed, right? 
Like, I, I can't believe that Moses is standing there going, you know what, I just don't believe in this God. What's really happening is, is he doesn't believe that God can use him. Conversely, if we place our hope, if we place our faith in what God says about us, what he says um, to us, what he says he's going to do in and through us, then we can have hope. We can, we can, we can go after that thing that seems really unlikely. Because again, it does seem really unlikely that this whole situation is going to work out. But in this chapter, God demonstrates why he is really our only true hope. I saw a tweet the other day from Tim Keller. If you know who he is, you know he's genius. If you don't, you should find out who he is. He says, if we place, if we place the weight that we should place on God on anything else in our lives, it will crush and destroy that thing. So if you look to your spouse to do what only God can do, you will crush your spouse. If you look to your employer to do what only God can do, you will crush your employer. If you look to your friends to do what only God can do, it will crush your friendships. And that's what we're seeing happening is is Moses just says, you know what, I'm just not good enough. He's actually crushing his own hope. He's crushing himself. He just believes that the best scenario in his life is for God to leave him alone. And God says, no, no, no. That's not what I have. So in, in this story, we observe three things that I want to just share with you about God's character that I think will encourage us um, this week, today, whatever your situation may look like. The first one is this. No amount of adversity will stop God's plan from succeeding. No amount of adversity will stop God's plan from succeeding. In the beginning of the story, chapter 3 on page 43, it's talking about the Israelites and it says, but the more that they were oppressed, Right? The more the Egyptians held them down and tried to squash them out, it says the more they multiplied and spread. God chose the Israelites as his people. He has, uh, I mean, as you're going to see through the narrative of the entire story, they will experience some crazy things. And eventually Jesus comes and redeems it. And it's all through that storyline. So God has that plan and he's seeing it in the future and he says, these are my people And even though the Egyptians, who are way more powerful, who have the technology to wipe them out, who don't need them, it says they're trying to oppress them, and and all they did was thrive. No amount of adversity will stop God's plan from succeeding. Guess what? If, If he has called you to something, that same truth exists. He will not allow you to fail to what he has called you to do. The second thing is this. God hears the cries of his people, and he doesn't ignore them. Multiple times in that passage that we read, it talks about how God has heard them crying and he's now come to save them, right? Every single person in this room has something that's difficult, something that they're asking God, saying, God, what are you doing? Why can't you help me in this situation? He listens to your cries and he will respond. He will respond. It may seem like an odd time. It may seem like an odd way that he's responding, but he does not, he does not miss your cries. He will hear them and he will not ignore them. Number three, God will often use unlikely people to accomplish amazing things. And this is my favorite observation from this because this encourages me. So he calls back to past examples of his mercy and his grace to give Moses and Israel hope. Like he says, remember back to Abraham, Abraham who couldn't, you know, he couldn't have a child and all of that. And guess what? I gave them a child, 
right? And then he has situations through, uh, through the lineage of that line where he just said, look how I've provided for them when it seemed totally unlikely. Look how I used them when it seemed totally unlikely. He will use unlikely people to do amazing things. Um, the one thing that made God angry in that situation was Moses' lack of faith, right? Like that was the only thing that made him mad. It wasn't the fact that, that Moses had questions. It was the fact that after those questions were answered and proven that he still was like, oh man, it wasn't even Moses' failures, right? It wasn't even the fact that he killed somebody, come on, right? It wasn't that fact that disqualified him. The one thing that made God angry was him saying no when he had no reason to say no because he's ready to use an unlikely person like Moses to accomplish something great. And then God promises to redeem them Right? He says, I will make you guys whole again. I will take you out of that oppression, and I will take you into the promised land. And that's a foreshadowing for what's going to come in the story. I can't wait to get to future chapters in the story because what he's going to do in the lives of the Israelites, regardless of how many times they reject him and walk away from him, he's going to redeem them over and over and over till the moment when Jesus comes, the final redemption for the rest of history. And it's foreshadowed right in the story. So God will use unlikely people to do amazing things. I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to sing a couple songs here in a second. We're going to do something before we get to that. I want to encourage you guys today with just this idea that God will use unlikely people to do amazing things. Because I promise you, you're sitting there going, he just can't use me for that. There's that situation that you're like, I'm pretty sure God has called me to that, but how could he do that? How could he use me? lowly, filled with, you know, mistakes or regrets or whatever you're feeling, how can he use me to do that thing? But as we just discussed a few minutes ago, no amount of adversity is going to stop God from accomplishing his plans. In fact, I want to read, actually, I said we were done reading, but we're not. I want to read this last little section from the story, um, what happens after that. So Moses goes and he, he does what um, God asks him to do. He goes to Pharaoh. He actually, um, Pharaoh releases the people. Then he regrets his decision immediately, and he starts chasing after them. And so they're being chased. If You probably know the story about the Red Sea, but I want to read it to you anyway because I love what it, what it says right in here. So this is on page 53 at the very bottom of the story if you're reading along, and we'll go on to 54 in just a second. So the people who are terrified now because they're being chased by the Egyptians and basically they run up to the Red Sea and they're like looking and there's a sea and then there's an army and there's nowhere else to go. And so um, they're complaining to Moses. They're like, why did you do this to us? Why did we even trust you? Why did this even happen? Moses answered the people. He says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the, the, the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. That's pretty incredible. He doesn't say like, oh, do all these things and be good and, you know, know, repent of your sin. Like he just says, just be still. Watch what God's going to do. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff. Stretch out your hand over the Red Sea and divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. 
I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. That's incredible. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on the right and on their left. That's an unlikely scenario. That's an unlikely scenario. So let me ask you this. Is the situation that God's calling you to, is that any more unlikely than that situation? No. It's not. It's not more unlikely than that. Is it more unlikely than having a conversation with a burning bush? It's not more unlikely than that. If, if I had to, if I like turned this staff into a snake, is the thing that God's calling to more unlikely than that? I don't think so. Or having an entire sea split in half so that my friends and I can walk safely across, it's not more unlikely than that. The dreams and the desires that God has like planted in you for his glory, those dreams, those things that seem so unlikely for whatever reason, they're not more unlikely than that. And he was willing to go that far for them. He's willing to go that far for you. He really is. So in this room, we have to make one of two decisions today. All right. First one is be cynical. And doubt that God has called you to something greater than your current situation. Or doubt that he can lead you to the situation that he's calling to you because of excuse X, Y, and Z. Or decision number two is to put your trust, your hope, your faith in him where it, where it is actually belonging, where it actually um, exists or where it should exist. Put your faith in him to fulfill his promise in your life to go something greater than the best version of your life, your best version of your life. See, I don't blame Moses for doubting because he, in, in some ways, he has a pretty good situation. Like he's just out in a field with his sheep and it just feels like the best situation, right? Like he's just going, why would I have, why would I leave this? This is good. But there's a leadership principle that I totally, you know, it was born out of God. It was, it, it, I, you know, all things come from God. There's a leadership principle by Jim Collins that says, good is the enemy of great. And see, God is calling Moses to greatness, right? I mean, you think about this, that story. That's probably the most, one of the most recognizable stories in the Bible outside of the, the resurrection, you know, like the cross and the resurrection. Like you just see, you know, you've seen that picture of that bearded guy holding, you know, it's like that painting that your grandma had, Right? And just him holding the staff and this, you know, I mean, it's like, it's iconic. But, but back home where he was just in a field with his people and his sheep and life was easy, that probably seemed like a really, really great situation. But it was not 
the best life that God had intended for them. So we can all probably identify with one of these scenarios today, and I want to just read these to you, and I just want you to, in your own, like, you know, in your own self, like to yourself, just be like, okay, that's the one that I need to, to be praying about. So the first one is this. Um, you may have no idea what God's calling you to do. Like maybe you're just like searching, like, God, what in the world do you want from me? Like what's that thing that you're calling me to? And you want to follow his lead to the best version of your life, but you just don't even know what it is, okay? So that's, that's one scenario. The second one is this, is that you do know what God's prompting you to do, um, but you just need the faith to follow through on it. You just need a little bit more faith. You know, God, help me. Give me the faith to follow through. Or maybe this is you. You've been burned by people and let down by situations that have really hurt you. So you may know or you may not know, but regardless, you're just so fed up with it that you're sitting here going, I don't even, I don't even care. You need God to work through that cynical attitude in your life so that it can release you from that, so that you can go into the space that he has called you to live the best version of your life. Because, you know, Center Church, we talk about this all the time. We're about helping people know Jesus because God wants to do new and better things in and through your life. Listen to that. New and better in and through your life. So maybe one of those situations or multiple situations, those scenarios is where, you, is where you exist right now. This is what I want to do. I'm gonna take two minutes and there's a little white card, a blank white card on your seat. I would love for you to just write down the Red Sea situation in your life. That, that thing in your life that you're like, I, I just, I don't know how to handle it. I don't trust that God's going to do that. Whatever that Red Sea situation is, I want you just to take a moment and I want you to write that on the card. And then, and then what we can do, if, um, I would love for you to drop it in the red box on your way out because um, you don't have to write your name or anything on it. You just write that situation. And, and Center Church's staff and the people who pray for Center Church are going to be praying for that situation. Because like Moses... Um, if your life is good, uh, we don't want that to stop it from being great. We don't want the ease of what you may have now to get in the way of the great that God is calling you to do. Or maybe you, you are pursuing that thing and you just, you just need more faith to get to that unlikely thing. Or you just, you don't even know, like, God, I don't know what to do about this situation. I don't know why I'm in this situation, but I want clarity. Whatever the situation may be or a mix of those things, I want you to write that down on the card. And then we're going to pray for it. I'm going to pray for you uh, in just a moment before we close our service after we sing some songs. Um, but we're going to sing some songs uh, in just a minute. But I want you to take like two minutes. I just want you to write that down. Write that situation down. And then Jess and the team will lead us through some songs. So Moses' story is unlikely. Parting of the Red Sea is unlikely. And I know you're probably thinking to yourself, yeah, Rick, I understand the Red Sea was God, but I don't know. I still just don't know that God can do in me what he did through Moses. Well, I will say this. As unlikely as the Red Sea story is, what's more unlikely 
is what these songs are telling us about. The fact that a person, God, Jesus, become human, God become human, he comes to earth and he pays the debt for every single person ever. The debt that weighs us down most, the one of guilt, the one of shame, the one that holds us back from believing in what God's doing in and through our lives, he already took care of that. They didn't have that reassurance at the time. It was to come for them. It's already happened for us. That's, that's good news. That's good news regardless of where you stand on the situation that you're facing because the best thing that could have ever happened for you ever, Jesus coming on your behalf is already done. That's the most unlikely thing to have ever happened ever. And it's already done. It's already accomplished. The victory is won. So the thing he's calling you to now, that's cake, right? It may not feel like it. It may seem like a giant barrier. It may seem like a big red sea between you and your goal, between you and the thing that God's calling you to. But I promise it's not. It's not any bigger than what's already been done by that same great God. So let me pray for you. Then we're going to go about our week we're going to have a great week. If you're in a community group, I pray that, that it goes really well this week. If you're uh, interested in helping out with Boo Bash or you have something we can be praying for, go back to the, the red box. Don't forget to drop your prayer card in the red box as well. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to gather. Thank you for the opportunity to, to worship you, to reorient our lives. And God, as you've taken our hearts, you've molded them a little bit more today, God, through the singing of song, through the giving of time, through the reading of your word, through, um, through the giving of our finances, all the ways that we worship you, God. I pray that that would just extend into our week that that situation that we're maybe nervous about or dreading or excited about but have no idea how it's going to work out, I know that you're already working in it. God, you've already sent the errands in our life. He's already on his way to help us. You already have paved the path towards that greater success, God. As long as we are willing to commit to you, God, I pray that, that you would not allow our cynicism to get in the way that, that we would just believe, God, that even through skepticism, we would have faith and put our hope in you today. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you guys next week.